Good morning. We're talking weather extremes again on the programme this week as we're on the latest farms to be hit by severe flash flooding. The water was started to come through the house. We uh, spent kind of three quarters of an hour keep, trying to keep the water out of the house to no avail. Um, but I then looked out the house window, which is kind of raised up above the farm and couldn't believe what I saw in the valley bottom. We've got uh, tree roots, we've got um, sludge and soil. We've got a heap of rotten hay bales. More from North Yorkshire and how farmers here are helping them overcome the devastation. Later, as oilseed rape drilling is about to begin for another year, Sean Sparling will give us his views on it. And this can't be right. It says Nick Morris is here with the British Sugar Beat update. Is he back? It is. Morning, Sean. I'm back again. Simon kindly offered me the opportunity to stand in for him for a week while he was away. So here I am. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. It's fair to say it's proving to be a difficult harvest this year for many. We saw the devastating weather that affected Wainfleet back in June, destroying many crops there. Well, it's a similar story in North Yorkshire, where flooding there has caused real damage to farms. Some of the scenes have been truly shocking. Forage Aid is offering help, the charity set up by Andrew Ward. He's been to see just how bad things are on the farm of Douglas Burnham. We are in Arkengarthdale, home farm Arkengarthdale, which is a small valley, small dale between Swaledale and Teesdale. If you could look at where I'm actually stood now, people listening can see uh, what I, the view I've got in front of me is just nearly picture postcard. Yet you turn around and we've got an excavator stood in, uh, in gravel and boulders. We've got uh, tree roots, we've got um, sludge and soil. We've got a heap of rotten hay bales. We've got uh, a pile of dead sheep uh, across the road. We've got machinery covered in soil and debris. Um, Douglas, you were, your farm here was at the centre of the floods uh, and the heavy rain we had last Tuesday. Just explain what happened, if you would. On uh, Tuesday afternoon, um, we were working with stock. Um, it started to rain, kind of uh, quite heavy thunder. Um, we said, well, we'll go to the house for, for a, bite, a bite of something to eat. Um, the, how, the water was started to come through the house. We uh, spent kind of three quarters of an hour keep, trying to keep the water out of the house to no avail. Um, but I then looked out the house window, which is kind of raised up above the farm, and couldn't believe what I saw in the valley bottom. All the fields were already flooded. Um, I jumped in the Land Rover with uh, one of my sons, tried to come down the road. Um, the uh, water had come over the road, over the bridge, um, taken hundreds of yards of wall out. There was no way I was going to get anywhere near to the, uh, to the farm buildings um, or to the stock that we had stranded in, uh, on, on the other side of the valley. Um, when we did eventually kind of travel down, down the valley and back across by foot and run and back up, um, most of the sheep were stranded on an island um, and they were taken away in the flood kind of uh, late evening. There was no way of us getting to them to save any. And how uh, many were in that group? There was, um, we lost about 80 out of a, a batch of about 160, we estimate. We haven't had a proper count up, but that is a... At, at least that number. And, and value of those roughly each? Uh, well, there were meal uh, meal lambs to, to be sold on in the September mm. sales the, to come down into the kind of the, the lower land farms. Um, and a lot of them valued at £100 plus each. Mm, right, yeah. And where, and where we stood at the minute, the gravel and boulders are in this grass field have come from behind your yard, haven't they've they? They've come from, yes, and they've come down a very small, uh, a small beck called uh, the Stang Beck. Um, it looks kind of... Nothing now, it is just kind of a, a trickle, but it was tor- a, tor- a huge torrent that took boulders that must weigh 
half a ton to a ton, a lot of them, and he just brought them down like little pebbles and just dumped them in the farmyard, into the buildings and across and across the field that you can see behind. And uh, the, the drive was covered in boulders. Obviously, that, that's been dug out and cleared, so you can get into your farm now. And the amount of grassland that is covered uh, in, in stone. And, of course, the other issue we've got is, is the, uh, the lead, isn't it, in, in the area? That's, if it's been washed off the hills, that's covered onto the grass, because that then contaminates the grass. Absolutely, yes. Um, the water that's come down the, come down the standback, will have come, a lot of it will have come out of mine workings, and it will have pushed away at, at spoil heaps that came out of the mines uh, originally in, in the kind of the 1900s so uh, yes last time we had a, a, a bit of a flood they did test the land and it was exceptionally high in, in lead levels so we're expecting that this time when they come to test it will be a, a lot worse and does that affect your sheep at all obviously it does you yes do? you can especially such as lambing time if you have any sheep in a field that has got a, a high lead content the lambs will very soon go off the legs they go legs they go very very stiff so really those those fields can be out of action for, for quite a lot of the year is there anything you can do to counteract that or reduce Not the lead? Not really, no, just to kind of keep them out. You can only put sheep in for just a few days and then you have to get them out, otherwise the lambs go so stiff. And what about making silage or hay off those fields? Yes, we will do, but if it, we will have to test to see what sort of a quality uh, it is now. Obviously, with the silt contamination and, and, and you know the the, uh, the amount of lead and, and other things that can be in the in the soil. Mm. And looking at, at um, losses that you've got here with the animals that you've lost, of course, it's not like just going to market and buying buying some more t- uh, sheep to replace. You've obviously got breeding and generations of hard work that's gone into this. Absolutely, yes. Um, I mean, the mule gimmers are a crop that we would have sold this year, but also. So in the next field up that we're actually stood in, we lost quite a few of the Swaledale ewes and the, and the ewe lambs that would have been used to kind of uh, keep the breeding stock, um, spinning stock going. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and of, of those, uh, how many do you think you've lost in total? Um, in total, we're looking at um, maybe 120. Right. But that is, that is a, a, an estimate at the moment. Obviously, with uh, no walls and boundaries, the sheep have strayed now, so we need to get a proper gather-up mm. and work out exact figures. And, o- and of that uh, insurance-wise, how much of it can you claim against the insurance? How much are you covered for and what, what aren't you covered? We, we are insured for sheep straying, so we're hoping that we are insured for, for in a, to up to a certain extent uh, for, the, for the livestock losses. But uh, for a lot of the damages and the crop loss, as in the round bales and, of silage and hay that you see behind, there is uh, no company that offers um, loss for, uh, for uh, bales of silage in a field, as in for flooding. So that's just gone. You'll that's have, just gone. We yeah, can't get that. You'll back, lose so. that. You're right. Yeah. yeah. And then what about, obviously, where we are now? We're looking at stone walls. There's uh, a lot of damage to stone walls. We have lost a, a huge amount of stone walls, and no, they are not insured at all. And the cost um, to replace them... Contractors now regularly charge thirty-two to thirty-five pounds um, a running metre, but also is that, is that just for labour or is that for that the... is just for labour? And also, it is forty pounds a ton for stone on top of that. And as you can see, the walling stone, although there's an awful lot of stone behind you, the actual walling stone that is used for the walls has been washed everywhere. So, um, so that that isn't in place. So you're looking to replace each metre of wall probably. The rule of thumb is that there's a ton of, of stone per metre, so right. you're looking at 70 plus pounds per metre to replace the wall that we And that's got to be done all at your own That has got to be done at our expense, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, big problem. And so what, what's your next plans now? What's your plans for this next week? Our next plan, our plans are just to kind of clean the buildings up um, that, that have been uh, badly um, badly damaged with the, uh, the water and the sludge and the stone. Um, 
and to try to keep just keep generally tidying, to try to get some temporary fences up so we can kind of work uh, work the stock up and down the lane because at the moment uh, stock is straying and we've got nowhere to uh, yeah. um, you know to kind of uh, handle sheep or anything in the field, so we have to get them in and out of the yard. Mm. So. Right, okay, Douglas. Well, I think it's when you start looking uh, around here, it is like a, a war zone, and uh, the damage you got here is, is just incredible. But just obviously, from Forage Aid's point of view, um, you know, we're here to, to, to help and support, and uh, you know, we, we will be doing that in the future. Thank you very much. Just sounds truly terrible, doesn't it? Uh, we'll post a video and some photos onto our Twitter and Facebook account so you can see it for yourself. Just the words there, enough were horrific. That's Douglas Burningham speaking with Lednam's Andrew Ward, founder of Forage Aid, a good friend, of course, to the programme on Douglas's farm in a valley between Swellsdale and Teesdale. If you want to offer your help in any way, then get in touch through our website or on social media, and I'll pass on Andrew's details. Now, this week, from Thursday, we'll be starting the main drilling window for oilseed rape, but... Is it worth doing it going forward? We've discussed before that the fields of yellow we used to see are getting smaller and smaller, with lack of actives just one reason to blame. Uh, Sean Sparling, our agronomist, what do you think? Yes, morning, Sean. It is a difficult question, you know, because all seed rape, there are so many people, so many experts coming out the closet. You read the, the farming press, everybody's got a different opinion of what the best thing to do with all seed rape is. My opinion is this, and it's just my opinion, and I'm basing it upon speaking to all of the experts I see so far because I stand on the shoulders of giants and never been truer with the industry which is farming. So if you plant all seed rape early, yes, it will get away, yes, it will get up, yes, it will be bigger by the time the onslaught of the cabbage stem flea beetle starts so potentially it may get away with it however if you want to avoid the larval infestation you're better drilling that little bit later so for me my advice to my growers is threefold number one towards the end of august look at the weather forecast if you forecast to get some rain you can get it in the ground get it up and get it away that will help you withstand the effects of that immediate first onslaught of cabbage stem flea beetle Remember, leave your all seed rape stubbles from this harvest as long as you possibly can because that lacked almost as a trap crop. Cabbage stem flea beetle adults have very poor wing muscles so they can migrate a couple of flights and then they tend to stay where they are. That's why you see areas of fields or fields next to other fields, one being dramatically affected and the one next door hardly touched at all. So if you can leave them a crop source there, that's going to help you. Secondly, don't go overboard with the seed rates. The, the natural tendency is to double your seed rate so that it halves the risk if you like of damage to the crop if you lose 50 plants you've still got 50 left but that can be self-destructive um, and as we know it is the cabbage stem flea beetle larvae which are causing the most damage we've seen crops in the last year where they look fine all the way through to april and then suddenly the the infestation levels within those plants made such a massive difference to these crops and we've had a disappointing harvest off the back of it so what i would say to you is pick a hybrid variety one with vigor so it gets going in the autumn it gets going again in the spring treat it like you would any other crop Put it in the ground well. The better the seed bed, the better it's going to come through. The more craggy and uneven the seed bed, the more places the cabbage stem flea beetle adults have to hide. And of course, if you are having to go out and spray for cabbage stem flea beetle adult, for goodness sake, spray when you can hit the target. There's no point going in high sunlight, high UV, hot days, just because you can and to tick a job off the wall. 
you need to hit the target. If that means going out at night and spraying when the beetles are more active, when the, the sunlight levels are down, when the UV's down, when the heat's down, then do that because it's not, as we've said before, it is not the quantity of applications, it is the quality of applications which count. So for me, I think get it in the ground well. Leave it until the end of August before you start thinking about drilling it and only then drill it when there is a forecast of rain because a lot of the problems with oilseed rape from last year came because people put it in the ground at the end of August and then it stayed dry all the way through September so the crops couldn't rally, they couldn't grow away from the damage and we saw significant levels of crop loss, even crops that didn't make it through the ground and these were the fields that had to be ripped up. So basic farming comes into play. Put it in the ground if you can get it in well. Don't go crackers with the seed rate. Don't put it in the ground if it forecasts staying hot and dry. Put it in the ground and maintain as much moisture as you can. If that means rolling the crop, then roll the crop. But every time you cultivate, you lose moisture. So you have to account for that. We just don't know what the weather's going to do. If ever there was a year that has proved that, this is it. Useful advice as ever. That's Sean Sparling from Sparling Agronomy Services. Well done if you took part in the social media hashtag Farm24 on Thursday, showing just what happens in agriculture in 24 hours and just how diverse an industry it is. Uh, If you're on Twitter, our account, at Farming Show, tweeted throughout the day, a kind of day in the life of the programme, as uh, Thursday is usually our production day when we start scripting the programme and editing the interviews, that kind of thing. And Thursday was also the day I visited the Sugar Beet Factory in Newark, and uh, you'll find on our Twitter account a photo of me in full safety gear. It's not a pretty sight. It might put you off your breakfast this morning. I was there for an update on beet before the rain of the last couple of days and uh, had to do a double take, to be honest. It couldn't be British Sugar's Nick Morris waiting for me, could it? It is. Morning, Sean. I'm back again. Back for uh, a special appearance. That's right, yes. Uh, Simon kindly offered me the opportunity to stand in for him for a week while he was away. So here I am. So, Nick, welcome back to the programme. What's uh, What's happening? Well, let's uh, start with the weather. So the crop's really flying now. We've had all that rain at the end of July and uh, lots of warm, sunny days uh, before that and after that. And uh, we've all no doubt got a suntan and the crop's enjoying it as well. So um, can't complain about the weather, uh, as could be said, for the, for the whole year, really. So on the agronomy front, as is typical this time of year, brown rust and powdery mildew, they can start to be found in, in some crops, albeit at pretty low levels. So the first applications of fungicide should now be completed, and that will give around four to six weeks of protection until most crops will then receive their second application. There is some limited evidence of virus yellows uh, in uh, in some fields, and we'll get to understand a bit more about that and its potential impact as uh, time progresses and we get towards campaign in September. But overall, uh, it seems quite uh, at relatively low levels. Uh, we've now commenced this year's yield digs, and this is where we take sugar beet roots from around 500 fields uh, from across the beet growing area to measure yield and sugar content. And we do that over six consecutive weeks, and uh, we can never sort of draw any accurate conclusions without a complete data set. But we received the uh, first week's results uh, back earlier on this week, and the results definitely look promising and encouraging, and uh, somewhere in line with what was what was expecting. So long may that continue. So overall, the prospects for the crop in the ground look very good and uh, campaign will soon be here so we'll get those machines in the field and we'll uh, we'll get some uh, real real data across the weigh bridge 
I just wanted to move on to uh, contracting uh, for the following year's crop. So we we know the delay to the 2020 contract offer is frustrating as growers look to make cropping decisions. And I want to share with all growers that we're very disappointed that we haven't been able to reach an agreement with NFU Sugar before now. We we do understand, and we're told frequently that uh, you know growers do want different things from the sugar beet contract. So. For us, that really comes down to always looking to strike a balance between the stability of a guaranteed minimum price and potential upside in a market-linked bonus. So the delay in announcing next year's beat price has unfortunately resulted in some inaccurate speculation, let's say, uh, of where the beat prices will be. And of course, we, you know, we're in the middle of a negotiation. I can't release details uh, at this stage, but I can assure you that the offers we have made is more attractive than last year's one-year contract. And the 2017 three-year deal coming to an end after this crop, uh, and we've proposed an offer which is at least as attractive as the one that's coming to an end on a uh, another three-year deal. So we have a lot of positive feedback from growers and particularly contractors around the value of contracting with a bit more longevity uh, to, to have that security. So yeah, we are committed to uh, being able to replace that three-year deal, and uh, we believe it's of value to uh, to the the grower base. So that's all on on contracting. All that's left to say really is uh, a lot of hard work going on in all of our four factories, including Newark, where we're we're sat now. So preparations look well on target, and uh, we're focused on receiving those first deliveries of sugar beet in September. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, be very exciting to get into yet another campaign. That's it. I mean, September will soon be here, won't it, before we know it? That's right. I think, uh, I, I dare say, arable farmers will struggle to take much of a breath between uh, finishing cereal harvest, although I suppose the way it's going at the moment, progress looks good on that on that front as well. We mentioned last time with Simon here at Newark as well about you know the fact that the juicing is, is well underway as well. That's going well so far. That's right, yeah. So we have a uh, thick juice run where we process sugar just in the uh, one half of the factory, the end, the end half of the, of the factory. So we can actually produce sugar on this site around 340 days of the year. And uh, that's working really, really well. So uh, 50% of the factory is already up and running and uh, we'll be flying into campaign in that fashion. Excellent. Right, well, we look forward to it. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Nick Morris from British Sugar, making a guest appearance and now going back into the home. Right, let's get our weekly update from Open Field. How are the markets uh, this week? Just checking, uh, Chris Spratt hasn't returned to surprises, as he? No, it's Jerome Fielder this week. Hi, Sean. Well, quite a bit of progress has been made this week before Thursday night's downpour put a break on things. Most growers have now cut their winter barley and orseed rate, with some well into their wheat and spring barley. Harvest progress seems to be all over the place though, depending on whether you caught showers or not. And the first signs of wheat yields are promising, although there is a lot to play out with storms knocking some crops over, which will have an effect on quality and yield. Looking more closely at the wheat markets, um, they will be watching the USDA report on Monday night, with the big question being, will they amend the planted area of corn in the US? If they reduce this, it is likely to support prices. The weakness of the pound is also supporting prices at the moment and our export competitiveness. The change in sentiment towards Boris's no deal continues to devalue sterling. However, it's worth considering where prices would be if the pound were to strengthen. Logistics is a big factor on harvest prices 
with barley being moved to ports, closely followed by wheat, as shippers are keen to export before Brexit. Looking globally, Egypt bought 415,000 tonnes of wheat from Ukraine, Romania and Russia. French wheat yields are better than expected, and the French will rely heavily on the demand of North African countries. Here in the UK, improved yields are likely to dilute protein contents and wet weather likely to drop hagbergs, so many growers have been prioritising their milling wheat first. Looking at barley markets, the winter barley harvest is almost complete with yields looking good. Spring barley yields have also been encouraging with varying results on quality so far in Southlinks. However, the consumers have remained largely on the sidelines, which continues to put pressure on premiums, with only limited homes for execution. Looking at the rate market, the French Agricultural Ministry made an additional downgrade to their all-seed rope crop from 3.6 million tonnes to 3.5 million tonnes last month. And further afield, the ongoing trade war discussions this week have seen a souring in tone as the US imposed additional tariffs on goods this week. Chinese currency surprisingly weakened after this, which then prompted the US to label it as a currency manipulator, all of which has meant markets have been roiled, with Brazilian domestic soybean values hitting the highest in two months as the real weakens and soybean buyers head to the South American country for supply. The eagerly anticipated USDA report due out this Monday could be another major market influencer, as the market awaits to see what adjustments are also made to the soybean planted area. Now for your ex-farm values. Okay, feed wheat, harvest values are 128 to 130 pounds ex-farm, with November values at 137 to 139 pounds, and values for May at 143 to 145 pounds. Feed barley values for harvest are 116 pounds to 120 pounds, November values are at £121 to £123 and May values are at £127 to £129. All seed rate values for harvest are £316 to £320. November values are £333 to £336 and values for May are £339 to £342 ex-farm. For any inquiries on grain marketing advice, Please speak to your local Open Field farm business manager. Thank you. Thank you, Jerome Fielder from Open Field. Now, have you heard about Ride Out UK? It's an idea from the British Horse Society, as it's feared it could see a number of bridleways lost in the next few years. A number of special rides have been taking place to highlight the issue. A number of such rides happened last weekend closer to home. There's a couple taking place today further afield, I think in uh, Hertfordshire and Hampshire today. Tracy Castles is from the Society, so what's the issue with bridleways? So in 2026, unless bridleways are registered on what they call the definitive map, we could lose them. Why are the bridleways going in in 2026? Um, Oh, it's a very long and convoluted (laughs) story, but basically um, the government decided that they they had some legislation that was brought forward which didn't work, um, and so they decided that what we needed to do was to have this sort of cut-off date where things were either on the map or they weren't. Um, and so that's where that piece of work has come from. The local councils have got such a backlog of applications. Um, it, it's not easy, and it's not easy to find these sort of old routes or even decide, you know, you might walk your dog every day and think that your bridleway is safe and it's fine. 
but it's trying to encourage people to check that they are on the map in order that we make sure we don't lose any because they often form huge networks where we can have lots of safe off-road riding that people can enjoy whether it's on horses on bikes with their dogs um, and it's really trying to drive that awareness that we are in danger of losing something that we're all I suppose incredibly privileged to have the access to. And obviously this farming program, are farmers helping with that or are some resistant? They'd rather not have you going on their land perhaps? Um, I think our sort of philosophy is that we we much prefer to work with people. So I think we're not not the sort of shouty organisation that goes off to farmers and says, oh, we can't do this. You know, know, if there are problems, we we try and work with people to resolve them. So we might occasionally have the odd creaking gate, but it's far better to go and chat to the farmer and say you know are you happy if we try and do something with it to give easier access so it really is about trying to bring all those communities that work in the countryside and that want to use the countryside to work together and not to have opposing sides so no we, we try and make sure that we find resolutions to whatever problems are there on, on all sides that's tracy castles of the british horse society what do you make about the potential loss of bridleways and what tracy had to say there do get in touch as usual through our website the farming program five-day forecast yes onto the weather then and i'm afraid that low pressure is still affecting things so some showery rain today still far from ideal for harvest the winds from the west up to 20 miles an hour highs today of around 20 it stays much the same overnight really with lows around 11 uh, first thing tomorrow and indeed they will be around that 10 11 through the rest of the week and further showers likely on and off too indeed temperatures all week are quite disappointing for the time of year daytime highs mostly from tomorrow around 18 celsius it'll remain unsettled through the week with what looks like another period of low pressure bringing further rain into tuesday and wednesday hard to forecast right now but there could be some particularly heavy rain in there some thunder mixed in as well that wind mostly from the west throughout the week as for the latter end of the week more of the same uh, that heat wave of july a distant memory for now that is the forecast Next week, we will hear from the team at British Wool. I promised it last week, but we just ran out of time this week. Uh, Plus, we will take a closer look as well at just how the weather is impacting on harvest. It's not ideal, is it? That's next Sunday. Until then, as ever, take care.